What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. We're at a Sears store to find out why Sears is where America shops. Why do I shop at Sears? It's easy for me. I can pick up tennis balls, children's clothing, torque wrenches, and a dish all in the same shop. Use my charge card, and it's just simple and easy. Sears, for America shop. That was then. This is now. Breaking overnight, Sears, once a giant in the retailing industry, has filed for bankruptcy protection following years of losses and a lot of debt. Will Sears survive or will the company vanish into retail history like Toys R Us? So what happened? Sears was once the everything store, the Amazon 1.0. They were the world's biggest retailer. And now they're on the struggle bus to bankruptcy town. This is Bizography, the show where we dive into the strange but true stories of iconic companies, whether they're a current bright star, in the midst of a massive dumpster fire, or settling into the dust heap of history, they all have a past worth knowing. I'm Dana Barrett, a former tech executive, an entrepreneur, and a TV and radio host, and over the course of my career, I've interviewed thousands of business leaders and reported on the bright beginnings and massive flameouts of the brands we know and love. Some of their stories are inspiring, some get my blood boiling, and some are just plain weird. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Bizography. Here with me, as always, is my trusty producer, new guy Nick. He's bringing the, mm, let's call it hopeful millennial, to my cynical Gen X-ness. <laughs> hopeful maybe in some cases, but have you seen the latest headlines about how while Sears is going massively bankrupt, they're giving all their executives, like, stupid huge bonuses? Yeah, and you know how much I cannot stand that. And I will be pulling out the soapbox a bit later to talk about that. It's one of my biggest pet peeves of the bankruptcy courts. I don't even understand why that stuff happens. But Sears is, you know, circling the drain. They're on the struggle bus to fail town. 
And I think there are definitely lessons to be learned from where they went wrong, aside from the fact that the bankruptcy judge, you know, is a stinky McStinkenstein. But what I think is not only fascinating about what they did wrong, what I think is fascinating is the parallel between Sears and Amazon. Right. The thing is, though, Amazon's had this whole advantage of the Internet. So blowing up fast is kind of to be expected a little bit. Sears started way back in the day. So how on earth did they get that big that fast without the interwebs? Well, that's the whole point. I think there are a ton of parallels. With Sears, it was the trains. It was the trains and the mail. That was the speedy, you know, internet, air quotes, of the day. That's just one parallel, and the parallels continue from there. But let's just kind of, you know, do a Wayne's World and roll back time and get to the beginning of the Sears story. I think everybody knows, well, I should just ask you, you know what Amazon started with, right? Yeah, it was uh, books. Right. right. That's how they started online. You bought your books at Amazon. There you go. So like a one product beginning. Sears was the same way. And I don't think most people know that. Now, you probably cheated, but you know what they started with, right? Okay. So before I knew, my guess with Sears would have been something kind of big for your house. Like, I don't know, an ice box. Isn't that what they had back then? Right? They did ice have boxes. ice boxes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can't imagine that now. Um, and they actually had real ice in them to keep things cold. It's crazy. But no, they started with watches. And it's kind of a crazy story. So for a second there, when Richard Warren Sears was born, which was in kind of the mid-1800s, he was born in Minnesota, and he had a moment in his young life where he could have been a Trump. I mean, not actually a Trump, but Trumpy. Uh, in that, his parents were really wealthy. They were doing really well. His dad was a successful entrepreneur. Um, but then everything changed. When little, can I call him little Richard? When little Richard... Richard Warren Sears, was 16. His dad died. But before he died, he sold his company, made a windfall, and then lost it all. So when he died, the family was left penniless. So at 16, Richard Warren Sears had to go get training and get a job. And so what he did was he got trained as a telegraph operator, and he got a job at a train station as the telegraph operator. So he was working at the train station, you know, bringing a few bucks home for mom and the siblings. And occasionally, he would get his hands on some, you know, unclaimed lumber or coal, and he would sell it on the side to help the struggling family. That could have been the whole story, except one day, there was a local jeweler who rejected a shipment of some gold-filled watches. They weren't good enough, I guess, for his jewelry store. And Richard Sears said, "Um, you know what? Can Can I take those? So he got them for a really good price, and he sold them just to like the other folks around the train station who worked there, made money and realized, hmm, there could be something here. So basically what you're saying is he had a side hustle and that turned into the main hustle. Yeah, he had a side hustle like, you know, more than 100 years before that term actually became a term. And I'm not even sure like in those days if it was okay to have a side hustle. Or if everyone did it, like now everyone kind of does it, don't they? Right. Everyone has, you know, an Uber job or something like that. But you're right. Back in those days, you were very career driven. You had your job and you focused on that path. And he just kind of bucked the trend a little bit back then. I think you were kind of supposed to be a company man back in the day. definitely. But he sold all those watches and ended up making a $5,000 profit, which is huge for that time period. I didn't do the math, but like it wasn't millions, but it was a lot. So he decided he was onto something and decided to start a watch company. 
That's when R.W. Sears Watch Company was born. He took the profits he made from that first venture and he started a mail-order watch business in Minneapolis. Look, we could go into all the nitty-gritty details of his life, but basically he grew that while he was in his 20s. He had moved from small-town Minnesota to Minneapolis, and the business was really successful, enough that he was able to resign from the railroad and kind of devote himself sort of full-time to this. And then he decided he needed a partner. So at this point, he's about 24. It's 1887. You remember 1887? Oh, yeah. 1887. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the (laughs) lack of telephones and modern electricity. Right. There was definitely no internet. (laughs) That's for sure. Uh, But he was only 24. He moves to Chicago, and he meets a guy named Alva Curtis Roebuck, also in his 20s. They're similar aged. And Alva Roebuck is just like a watch repairman. Okay. So he got a little smart. Obviously, he's been working on the railroad uh-huh. and didn't. <laughs> Are you going to sing? Are you going to sing a song? <laughs> and, and it probably didn't have a whole lot of knowledge in the watch world. I mean, he knew what a good watch was and could sell it for a buck. But God forbid you get the shipment in and half of them are busted up. You're just going to toss them. So, all right, his first partnership, essentially, in the history of it is with Alva Roebuck. All yep. right, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Alva seems like a pretty good guy. They start working together and they start expanding. So they've got watches and they add diamonds and jewelry. And side note. You're you're an engaged guy. Yeah. Can you imagine buying your diamond like in a mail order catalog? <laughs> Absolutely not. All I have to say is if I would have done that, I wouldn't currently be an engaged guy. Yeah. It's so <laughs> funny because it's like at the time that was what the choices you had. There weren't malls. You couldn't wander into a Jared and buy your jewelry, you know, like that just wasn't an option. Absolutely. And if there was a jeweler nearby, there probably wasn't a huge selection because now we're used to, like you said, walking into Jared and there's 8,000 options Probably had just a couple dozen tops. Right. Well, here's the other crazy thing. Even though, of course, there were shysters back in the day, people trusted each other. Yeah. And they trusted that you were going to do business a certain way. You weren't going to advertise a diamond and then send them a cubic zirconia, which, by the way, I don't think also had been invented at that time. (laughs) Maybe that was why it was all okay. Uh, In any case, they expanded to watches, to jewelry, and they did something very innovative for the time, had never been done before. They offered, I feel like this needs almost a drum roll. They offered a money-back guarantee. Oh, wow. That's almost standard anymore when you buy anything is if you're not satisfied with it or it messes up, you get your money back. So that was revolutionary in that time. Yeah, I don't think there were returns back in the day. Like you didn't bring stuff. You didn't have a receipt and bring stuff back. You bought it. That's it. You own it. That's it. So they sort of introduced that innovators of their time in much the same way that Jeff Bezos is an innovator now, although he did not invent the money-back guarantee (laughs) or really anything like it. But stay with me. So Sears then decides in the late 1880s to cash in on this successful run, and he sells the business for 100000 and he's going to go to Iowa and become a banker. Well, that does not last long. I think banking is pretty boring. Yeah, probably after you've been somebody who built something from nothing to a $100,000 company, which, you know, in 1889 was quite a, quite a pretty penny, probably being the company man again didn't quite satisfy the itch. Even owning a bank. I think banking is just boring. I mean, after retail, who wants to be a banker? For all of our banker listeners, you're not boring. Yes, you're fabulous. Sorry about that. It's only two years. He has a change of heart. He goes back to Minnesota, and he starts over and does a new catalog business. And this time, he calls up his friend, Roebuck, who who stayed with it, by the way, the whole time. Roebuck stayed and had this catalog business. And so they form another company together, and it's now AC Roebuck & Company. And that's 1891-ish. Then by 1893, it becomes... 
Sears, Roebuck, and Company, a name I think most of us know. They move the headquarters to Chicago, and by this point, they have a 200-page catalog, and they're selling everything from sewing machines to saddles to musical instruments. It's 200 pages. It only takes another year, 1894, and at this point, they're up to 507 pages, and Richard Warren Sears himself wrote almost every single word in that, that catalog. That is a dedicated man right there. Right. And so this is where I think the like the fascinating Jeff Bezos comparisons can really begin. They both started with one product, but they had a bigger vision. You know, with Sears, what he saw was the ability of the railroads to get things to people who didn't have access to them otherwise. There weren't cars. There weren't malls. There were people who lived in rural areas who needed stuff. And he found a way through the mail, using the post office and using the trains, to move things around the country in a way that they had never been moved around before. I think that's really interesting, too, in the fact that he found a, essentially less less of selling the product and more of selling the medium, the catalog, that you could buy everything from a watch to a saddle for your horse. That was more what the innovation was with them, was the catalog where obviously catalogs existed, newspapers existed. You could buy things from a little way away, but you bought it from that store, that person who made it. He just had everything which is kind of the way Amazon has gone as well. Right. And Amazon is fun. I mean, think about the Amazon logo. It's got a big smile on it. And when I just read a news story, I think it was today, it was talking about how people should, you know, try to save money by deleting certain apps from their mobile phones. And one of the apps they suggested you delete was the Amazon app because you would be tempted to buy stuff. Like they said, you could still use Prime on your computer, but take the Take the app off your phone because maybe you'll settle yourself down. Let's be fair. How many of us have had no intention of shopping and you just open the Amazon app just just to see and next thing you know, you're tapping checkout. Right. And so (laughs) (laughs) stop watching over my shoulder. But right. I mean, this is exactly my point. Sears was so similar. People got so excited about that catalog. It wasn't just that they wanted the stuff that was in there. The catalog became entertainment for America. So these guys, by the late 1890s, are in their heyday. They've got this 500-some-odd-page catalog, and people in America are starting to know who they are. So by the late 1800s, these guys are crushing it. They've got this 500-some-odd-page catalog. It's going all across America. People are starting to know their name and look forward to that thing coming in the mail. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, I'm feeling a musical interlude. Musical interlude? What do you have in mind, Dana? Well, the song that's popping into my head is Good Times by Chic, because up next, we're going to talk about the good times for Sears. Good times. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com. 
where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Yeah, I don't think they had this song in the late 1890s, but these were the good times of Sears. Really the first half of the 1900s, from the late 1890s all the way through mm, the 1950s, 1960s, when you were still not even being thought about. You weren't even a twinkle in anyone's eye by then, (laughs) new guy Nick. Um, But yeah, they were really crushing it in those days. And that catalog, that Sears catalog coming in the mail was something Americans waited for. It literally became known as the Consumer Bible, but it also had a little bit of a darker history in that people, there was so much paper, and sometimes, you know, you ran out of paper at home, so people used it as toilet paper. Oh, that was not where I was expecting that to go. I was thinking more maybe, you know, tinder for the fireplace. But I guess it makes sense. If you don't have a horse, the saddles, don't need them. Use them for something else. Fair (laughs) enough, fair enough. I don't know what that analogy was, but okay, we'll roll with it. So they had this amazing catalog. And what do you put on 507 pages, do you think? I mean, there's a plethora of craziness you could probably get in there. Obviously, normal stuff you would need, you know, maybe toiletries. And what back then, they sold tonics and stuff, right? So I'm sure there's plenty of that. But I think you, I mean, speaking of tonics, since you bring it up, mm-hmm. I think you could actually buy different kinds of <clears throat> drugs on, in the Sears catalog. Uh, yeah. Some that probably wouldn't even be legal now. Really? Yeah. I don't think the FDA was really too powerful back in those days. Valid point. Uh, But they also had a lot of weird stuff. And it just feels like this is the time they could experiment, not unlike Amazon. You could buy some pretty weird stuff on Amazon these days. Um, But one of the ones that I thought was maybe the weirdest was you could buy an entire house on Amazon. A kit house. A full? Like like a build your own. A DIY. (laughs) There was no Home Depot then. So essentially, they were putting Ikea to shame back in the day. Oh, this was like this, ta- right. This was like Ikea, like if you if you got the kit to build the entire store. Awesome. Like, except it was a house and you could, and there was not just one or two, like Ikea, there's like four different dressers. Correct. There were like 
70 different styles of homes you could buy. Um, and they literally sent you everything for the kit house, uh, except, I think, the mortar and so the, the nails. The foundation of the home. And then obviously they didn't send you like two guys to help you. They didn't know. The they did not send you people. People were not included in the kit house. But they, yeah, I think the cement was like the only thing that you had to sort of make yourself. And so there are Sears kit houses all over the country to this day. And because they weren't really labeled anywhere, like they didn't keep track. They didn't have the data management we have now. <laughs> and so they don't really know who bought them. So they got, sort of got put up all over the country. And they, some of, a lot of them are gone now. Uh, historians have looked into it, but a lot of them still exist, which I thought was pretty cool. It's fascinating. So if you or your family member live in an older house, maybe uh, do a little research. Yes, and there are <laughs> ways you can tell, apparently. There's certain markers on some of the wood flooring or like on behind the, um, the drywall where you can find markers that will tell you if it's a Sears kit house. That Almost like, you cool. know, how on an Ikea piece of furniture, you like can see the different, you know, like the little type of screws they have or whatever. Yes, you recognize absolutely. it. absolutely. The thing that makes it from Ikea. That's cool. Yeah. What's that little tool you use to turn to tighten Island everything? Wrench. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you see one of those, like, you know, it's probably an Ikea dresser. <laughs> Same kind of deal. But they also sold motorcycles, cars. That's a lot of crazy stuff that they would have. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not even to the crazy yet. Okay. I know you looked some of this up too. All don't right. don't act like you don't know. <laughs> the most interesting thing, or no, not interesting. Let me rephrase that. The craziest, weirdest thing that they sold was uh, they sold ladies' safety belts. For those of you who don't know what that means, yes, it was a chastity belt. They sold chastity belts in the early 1900s for women, followed shortly thereafter by chastity belts for men. So uh, in case you were worried about your daughter or yourself being little promiscuous. You could buy that and you were safe. Sears had you covered. So you could get opium, I think, in the <laughs> Sears catalog and some chastity belts just in case you got two out of your head, you wouldn't do anything crazy. I think that's... Helping you look out for yourself. I mean, it's Sears like Amazon. You never have to leave your house and you can have a party. There you go. Bam. Just like that. And if you want the party to get really weird, just saying, you could also buy baby chickens from Sears. That is a party. <laughs> so you have a crazy party in your Sears house with your Sears opium, making sure that, you know, some of the crazier ones are not going to get too out of control with the Sears chastity belts. Everyone's, you know, passing around the chickens. and Yeah, and yeah, the only rule is mom hides the keys to the Sears cars and motorcycles Absolutely. so you can't drive drunk. Perfect. That's <laughs> you all covered in every way. Bam. Come on. All right. Obviously, we jest, but there was a lot in the Sears catalog, obviously, and they, you know, now... Other than Amazon, I feel like there, most companies now sort of stick to a product line, a category. Sears did not do that. They were the everything store, just like Amazon is today, which makes it, I think, hard sometimes to have um, a real connection to what you sell. Instead of being connected to what you sell, you connect to your customer. And that's the way Sears was um, positioning themselves. They cared, in theory, about the farmers and the regular people. There wasn't even suburbia really, until the late part of that era. In the 1950s, suburbia started to become a thing. But prior to that, it was sort of urban and rural. And they were most concerned with their rural customers. So that is why they sold houses and animals and, you know, farm equipment, along with clothing and things that you just couldn't get if you didn't live in an urban area. That's who they're, it was the connection to the customer, not a particular category or product. Right. right? I, think, I think that's uh, something that we've noticed with a lot of companies nowadays doing wrong is they focus so much on, like you said, that product, they lose sight of the people they're selling it to. See, we, I think we see that a lot. Amazon does kind of cover the base of everyone, but let's be fair, some of uh, <clears throat> our older family members, 
may be a little less inclined to use Amazon. They still like to go to the brick and mortars, but they focus on kind of Gen X all the way down. That's Amazon's customer. And That's if fair. it appeals to that demographic, it's on Amazon. So, right. I mean, they, Amazon may look at us as just all Americans or all world, you know, we're all people in the world and stuff. I don't know. But, but certainly for Sears, it was those rural customers and it was giving those people access. But like all companies, I think once you start growing to a certain point, it's sort of about feeding the beast and continuing to grow the company. And how do you do that? And so they started uh, marketing, as Amazon now does as well. I also think it's funny, by the way, that Amazon that started so online does TV commercials now. Isn't that weird? They've almost moved backwards a little bit. Right. (laughs) I know. Well, once again, they were not created. Amazon did not come up with any of this from scratch because long before Amazon started doing TV commercials, Sears was doing radio. Sears was marketing via the radio. Who knew? All the way back in the 1920s. They actually bought a radio station in Chicago and they owned the entire station. It, It was originally WBBX, but as soon as they started broadcasting on this station, They called it for the first, I think, like one or two shows. It was WES, World's Economy Store. Sound familiar? And then they changed it to World's Largest Store. Also, if you said that to somebody today, they would say what? Amazon. There you go. So WLS were the ultimate call letters of this radio station, World's Largest Store. And they did everything from weather reports to music to tips for housewives, a.k.a. the kind of first infomercials. Absolutely. Right? I mean, they innovated. They were doing infomercials before that word existed. And it's smart on them to kind of specifically cater the radio station to that demographic because as we know now with all the research that's been done is the women in the house have the buying power. Seems like they probably kind of knew that back in the day as they said, while the husband's out working, she's at home taking care of the kids. And guess what? That catalog's open on the kitchen table. So if we pitch stuff to her... She's just going to open it up and send a letter right to us. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you want more proof that they cared about their rural customer, they had a show called The National Barn Dance that was on every Sunday evening. And it was literally the most popular radio show in the Midwest. That's outrageous. Yeah. But back then, too, the, you know, the, the radio was the TV. So yeah. they were smart in getting into the primary entertainment venue back then. Fun fact, they sold the radio station only four years later, 1928, but it still operates today and it's still WLS. Wow. I don't think they do tips for housewives anymore. (laughs) Just a guess. I don't listen, but I'm just guessing. One of the other things that's been really fascinating to watch about Amazon, certainly, is that they've managed to transition as times have changed. I mean, Amazon's now, what, 30 years old? I think something like that, 20 or 30 years old. And, you know, they're starting to do more uh, brick and mortar now. They've changed their products over time. They've added tech products, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Sears was doing the same thing. They were watching what was happening in the market. They were changing and they were modifying what they were doing to meet the times. They started doing brick and mortar stores themselves. They started doing malls. They started doing television ads. On TV, after radio, they started doing jingles. I think that now, moving closer into our era, okay, my era, we actually remember. Like back in the 1970s, for example, they had a, a jingle that I think everybody remembers. It's one for your life. Geeks is calling me. Gotta have it. We agree. It's one for your life at Sears. So shop around. Smile for daddy. Give him a high. Pull up a seat. Pick up a bite. Come on in and shop. There's more for your life, more for your life at Sears. 
Okay, I only wanted to play that in the middle of this podcast because I want it stuck in everyone's head for like the next two weeks. There's more for your life. You know you're going to be singing it. Admit it. (laughs) But yeah, we were all singing those kinds of jingles back in the day. Those were the good old days of television, by the way. When sitcoms had original songs, remember? Well, you don't remember. But Nick at Night, I, I remember, remember watching them. Come on. You I saw mean, them at Nick, they, and, they on were, Nick at Night. They were, you know, reruns. But yeah, I watched them. Yeah, well, that, that's the, that was sort of the era. By the time that came out in the 1970s, maybe times weren't quite as good, but they were already becoming sort of known the way we know them more now, which is as a, uh, you know, hardware company and a, a appliance company. And also they were already trying to make sure by then that people understood that there was more than just appliances. There was more for your life at Sears. Or maybe there was a softer side to Sears. You'll be the first place I'll always try Cause just like me, you have a softer side Come see the softer side of Sears Let's be honest, that never really worked. But I do remember that jingle. I do remember the softer side of Sears playing when my mom was watching TV. I remember that. Yeah, I, I, they really tried to show off their that they sold clothing and all of that. But all I can remember, and I'm going to date myself a little bit with this one, but when I was a little kid going to school, what kind of jeans you wore was super important to how cool you were. And if you were wearing Tough Skins, which was the Sears brand of jeans, you were a loser. <laughs> Just saying. One step up from that was Wrangler. You were only cool if you wore Levi's. It's just how it was. And they didn't sell Levi's at Sears back in the day. So so at least in that department, maybe they've stepped their game up just a little bit because they kind of carry everything, I think, in the in the clothes department now. They have yeah, a little but bit of all the brands. That's a function, I think, of the retail business in general being on the struggle bus to we don't know what to do next town. But at the time, Levi's was everything and tough skins were just lame. <laughs> Uh, So the softer side of Sears never really was super successful. But in other efforts to sort of stay current and diversify, Sears, and this is something I think very few people know, actually launched a lot of other famous brands that are famous to this day. Let me give you a hint on one of them. You're in good hands with Allstate. Did you know that? And see that... No, that did I, I sound no anything idea. like the actor? I mean, no. You you did your best. Okay, thank but you. <laughs> I think that's no. Who's going to associate a massive retailer with like car insurance and life and home and what? How right. did that even happen? Well, here's what's interesting. Some of the brands that that Sears crafted made sense with the other things they sold. For example, Craftsman Tools. They were selling tools and hardware. Kenmore Appliances was a big brand for them, but those all stayed kind of in-house brands. They also had tire stores. Remember, which I think some big box stores still do, like Costco, I think, still has a tire store, right? I believe they do. And I know Sears, at least the one near my house, still for the longest that. time growing up, had the automotive yeah, center. Yeah, right. you could still buy tires. And so that was all part of that coming out of that, remember, the 507-page catalog where you could buy entire cars. It made sense to still have some of that in their lineup because they had some expertise there. So they had diehard batteries. And Allstate Insurance, I think, bubbled up out of that. It came out of this idea of automobile insurance. It started all the way back in 1931, believe it or not. And it was actually, Allstate was actually named after one of the Sears brand of tires that they had back in the day. And so Allstate obviously has since been spun off and continues to live on as a far stronger brand than Sears is now. The other thing that they did, look, they almost made it. Sears was like, what's that song about we almost made it, you know, about breaking up? Oh, yes. 
I feel like that's kind of Sears almost <laughs> made it into the next transition. Like they could have been Amazon. They almost made it. When the internet was just starting to become a thing, they actually developed Prodigy. Now, you may not remember that, Nick. You look a little puzzled. All right. Well, you know what AOL is, right? Absolutely. Okay. So Prodigy was a competitor to AOL, essentially. It was in the dial-up days, and it was this private network, essentially, where you could log on to Prodigy and have access to a version of email at the time, a private network, some basic shopping. And this was all way before the internet became mainstream. The problem was for Sears with that, it's almost like they were the BlackBerry of the internet. They the like, initial yeah. innovator that just couldn't keep up. Yeah. Ugh. And also, by the way, they did that in partnership with IBM and CBS. Prodigy was a partnership of Sears, IBM, and CBS. And it was like they almost had it. And then no. And the other brand, I think, uh, worth noting that they spun off was Discover Card. Now, did that stem from maybe like a Sears store card? Because that's pretty yes. fascinating. Yes, it did. In fact, Sears was one of the early credit card companies with the Sears store credit card. And for a long time at Sears, you could only use this. They didn't take other credit cards. They only took the Sears charge card. Now, that was when times were a little bit different. Uh, but ultimately, they realized they needed to branch out and they spun off Discover Card, which again is now a far stronger brand on its own You know, than its it's mommy and daddy. Sears is. So pretty interesting. They were, at one point, as things started to go wrong for Sears, they were making far more money with their financial products than they were with any consumer products, which is kind of telling. All right. I love a good bunny trail, but let's get back to the timeline. They adeptly managed this move from mail order catalog to physical stores to malls They moved from caring only about rural customers to embracing this suburban customer who really became their mainstay. And things were going all in all amazingly well. So they started expanding and building and expanding and building as companies do. We talked about it from a brand perspective and a a product perspective, but they did it with, you know, physical locations too. And like anybody who has something they want to um, overcome, they have to show off by, you know, building big things. Bigger. Big, bigger, better, more, like with their name on them. You know, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying. So they started building some big buildings. In fact, even right here in Atlanta, they built a huge building that we are, in fact, sitting in right now. We are in the old Sears building right this very minute. The building here was built in phases starting back in 1926. The company, Sears at the time, bought 16 acres for about $200,000. Can you imagine? What a Deal. And I'm not saying parallel. I'm just saying parallel. Amazon HQ2, anyone? The first phase cost $3 million, and it was a warehouse and a retail store. It carried 35,000 items and employed 1,500 people. And on its first day, wait for this, on its very first day, there were 30,000 visitors. That's how excited people were That's about outrageous. this. That's outrageous. That is one heck of an economic engine. What built into what city. in modern times could draw 30,000 visitors on one day? Other than like a sporting event or a concert or something, especially like the opening of a new store? No way. I mean, I'm going no to throw it out there. The Olympics. It's like the only thing. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean maybe if Super Amazon. Bowl, yeah. You know. In but, the sense of retail, you're right. I think the only thing that would draw that many people in one day would be if Amazon opened a massive store in the middle of a big city. And they're like, by the way, this is the Amazon store and everything on this th- online is in here. No, no, no. The only way 30,000 people would show up for that is if everything was free. (laughs) 
People don't care about a store anymore. That's not a thing. People don't line up for that. But if you give it to me free, I'm there. Anyway, they continued to grow this Atlanta presence, adding floors and entire new buildings, turning it into a campus, again, somewhat like our tech companies of today, until it reached 2 million square feet. That was in the heyday of the 1960s of Sears. And that was just what they did here in Atlanta. But Sears was literally becoming the everything and everywhere store by then. In 1969, Sears was the largest retailer in the world. They had 350,000 employees at one point and over 4,000 stores internationally. And that, of course, is when they decided they needed a tower. You know, everybody needs a tower. Uh, A big, huge building with our name slapped on the side. That is correct. (laughs) The Sears Tower, 110 stories tall, was built in Chicago, uh, Illinois. It was completed in 1973. And at that time, it was taller than the World Trade Center Towers in New York. And it was the tallest building in the world. That is one big midlife crisis right there. (laughs) It held that title for 25 years. So uh, I think it's, I don't even know which the, what the tallest building is now. Do you? Have uh, to... It's, it's uh, Burj Khalifa in Saudi Arabia. It's one of those crazy huge towers. Do you they, really know that? They, How yeah, do you know that? Because they built it in the same premise. The, the royal family over there said, you know what? We can do it bigger. And so they did. And we're going to put our name on it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's something about building that giant building and slapping your name on it. Again, whether it's the tallest or just the biggest, it feels like an ego play to me. And I wonder a little bit, and I'm just putting out there, Jeff Bezos, that maybe it's the beginning of the end. It's the signal of future doom. Kind of your own uh, your own bravado has gotten the better of you. Now you think you're better than everyone, so let's just do whatever we want. Right. Or Yes. And we can, in the case of Amazon, certainly get the entire country to stop everything they're doing and make proposals and... Uh, you know, give us tax credits and put dog and pony shows on to convince us to come there and spend our big money to build our big building to put our big name on it. And then what? What's funny is as Sears has begun to struggle, Jeff Bezos has an eye on it. He's watching what's happening to Sears in modern times. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But the money was also flowing like crazy for Sears in the 1900s leading up to right around when the Sears Tower was built. Um, They were crushing it in all kinds of ways, not just size, but also money. And it wasn't until really after the Sears Tower when things started to decline. That's the sad part of the story. And that brings us to where we're at right now today. We'll talk about that next. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. So you know how it goes. Everything that goes up must come down. That's what they say anyway. Well, Sears, that was definitely the case. The 1900s overall, pretty good for Sears. Started to falter in the late 1900s. But by the early 2000s, there was a little bit of a resurgence in there. They hired a CEO who turned things around for a minute. And they did okay. They bought some other companies like Land's End, and and they hung in there a little bit. But overall, it just wasn't happening, and things started to falter for them. So just to give you an idea of, of some of the numbers, in 2000, in the year 2000, Sears had sales of $41 billion for the company, and by, let's say, 2016, they were down to $22 billion, so almost half uh, gone. Ouch. In, That's... In, 15 years. And that's yeah. just, it's really interesting to see that transition from so much success in the 90s. And then as soon as the 21st century came around, they just stopped and started to drop. Well, the real problem started uh, for Sears. They were, you know, they were starting to struggle a little bit. They were losing some of that vision that they had had in their earlier days. And I have to mention that part of the reason I think Sears lost their vision, and this has not happened to Amazon, I'm sure Jeff Bezos is knocking on wood, but Richard Sears died really young. And so that was part of the problem. He was sort of a workaholic. And, the you know, health just wasn't what it is now. They didn't have access to the same kind of medicine and doctors and people didn't live as long. And he died like at age 50. So he was out of the picture pretty early on. And the company was led by others, some people that had been in on it with him from the early days, who shepherded it pretty well, as we saw through the 1900s. But what really went wrong was that as things started to falter for Sears, and, and part of that was competition, from stores like Target and Walmart, and they weren't able to compete. They weren't the only ones anymore. They weren't able to compete in the way that they once did. And so they ended up being purchased slash merging with Kmart under the name Sears Holdings. This happened in 2005. And this is where the evil villain of the story enters the picture. He is a man named Eddie Lampert. He is the current, I think he's the current chairman he is the current chairman had to resign as CEO. Correct. Why? Because he is evil. You might have noticed, even just from those two sentences, that I'm not a huge fan of Eddie Lampert. But he got involved in 2005. This is a guy who is one of those sort of classic Wall Street hedge fund managers who 
believes in making himself and his cronies as rich as possible and seems to not give a hoot. Can you give a hoot about anything or anyone else? He makes me think of a famous movie from back in the 80s called Wall Street. Remember that one? Did you ever watch it? I have seen it. Okay. Remember this scene? The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. For the record, it's not working for Sears or the good old U.S. of A. right this very minute. But Eddie Lampert sure believes in greed. That is what he's doing. So he brings Kmart and Sears together under Sears Holdings back in 2005 and, you know, seems to think he's going to be able to, or at least is trying to present a front of, I'm going to fix all of this. I have all these great ideas. Just everybody stay with me. We're going to make it work. Well, fast forward, we're now in 2018, but by 2016, sales were down to $22 billion. By 2017, sales really 100% cut in half, all gone. If you've walked into a Sears store in 2016, 2017, 2018, what did you see? Things all over the floor. It's not well kept. Their product selection is starting to slowly get worse and worse and worse. It's not pretty. No, it's horrible. Sears, by modern times, is just... Lost. It's lost. It's they claim that they made an effort to have, you know, Sears.com. Does anyone go to Sears.com for anything? I've gone before. Why? And there's a reason I was on there for two minutes and have never there been back. <laughs> there you go. They missed their opportunity from that perspective. It's not something Eddie Lampert ever fixed. The stores are dirty and disgusting and a disaster. Again, not something that Eddie Lampert ever fixed. He is so sketchy. He literally makes my stomach turn. I mean, this is a guy who is selling parts of the company off. There were, when he got involved in 2005, still some assets that are part of Sears that have value. And he sold them off, in theory, to save the company. But the sketchy part is he, in many cases, sold the pieces and parts off to other holding companies of which he personally had an interest. So he's basically scraping the meat off the bones. That's what this guy is doing. And even when he tries to give a pep talk, now Sears now has filed for bankruptcy. And as you pointed out at the very beginning of this episode, has just gotten for himself and, again, his cronies in the midst of bankruptcy, huge bonuses, while Sears employees right before Christmas time are out of work. Yay, Sears. And even when he tries to give a pep talk, Eddie Lampert just sounds like somebody you want to punch in the face. If the world of retail was going to be stable, it would have been much more difficult to create something different. There'd be no Amazon, just a larger Walmart. And there would not have been the opportunity for Sears to break from the pack once again and change the face of retailing like it always had in the past. As we all know, we haven't capitalized on this opportunity the way I would have liked. Instead of growth and investment, we have faced retrenchment and restructuring. When he says break from the pack, does he mean like fall behind? 
Like the, you know, like the kid in gym class who just can't keep up with the other kids? Is that what he means? I just imagine like a herd of cattle and one of them breaks its leg. And it's just really limping oh, along. Oh, don't pick it on can't. the poor cattle. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the Sears chickens they bought back in the day. And one of them was a little defective. And it just can't keep up with all the other chickens anymore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he's even talking about there. I mean, yes, yeah, certainly retail. We've seen a lot of struggles in the retail industry in the last 10 years with big box stores going out of business with malls struggling. I mean, there certainly have been challenges, but I have not seen Sears do anything that looks positive to try to break from the pack. Right. My whole life, I graduated in 2010. My whole life of being able to go to the mall by myself and knowing about companies, it's always been that dingy dark corner of the mall. And it's like, really? You went to, you went into Sears? Oh man, I just go in there to use the bathroom. Yeah. So, exactly. And the bathroom probably wasn't even clean. It wasn't, but it was the closest one. You know, what are you going to do? Well, you're a dude. That's okay (laughs) for you. It's not as good for us. But right, fair point. And I think, you know, Sears could have turned it back around. Think about how many brands we've seen that were sort of not cool become cool again in a vintage-y way. Like, they could have spun off something that was specifically Sears You know, maybe they do smaller hardware stores because, look, Home Depot now has taken over the hardware market, but you need a neighborhood hardware store. What if Sears had started small corner hardware stores with their Craftsman brand? They could have totally done that. They could have had an amazing Craftsman website and had that. You know, there were opportunities. Absolutely. And that's one of the saddest parts about it is because Kenmore appliances are actually pretty good. Craftsman tools are really good. And if Sears is going to die and these brands die with it, that's 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 really sad right. to see that happen. Right. Start Kenmore appliance stores or put a Kenmore, you know, store within Best Buy like Apple does, right? I mean, there were ways that Sears could have stayed relevant and they just never did. I mean, even do some new softer side of Sears and make fun of it and find a way to make that cool. I mean, Hush Puppies came back for a minute. I don't know if you remember that, but they did. Vinyl records are back. They are. They're right? very cool. Right, exactly. And they're useless, but they're really cool. (laughs) I mean, they're not nearly as good as digital music in terms of the ability, you know, the ease of carrying them around and all of that, but they're cool. You're right. It's it's something kind of novelty to have. And with the big Sears with the blue kind of double-lined logos and everything else, that's what we've all known for 20 years now, and it's ugh. They would have gone back to the kind of the 70s logo with the almost handwritten script Sears with the line under it. Like you said, if you can make fun of yourself sometimes, that launches you right back into the spotlight. And they just, they didn't, I don't even know if it was a lack of execution. It was a lack of caring more than anything else. Right. And it was Eddie Lampert wanting to make money for himself and his cronies. And that is where we are today. And that is where this story, sadly, is going to end. It makes me sad to see what used to be an iconic company going away, kind of. But in this case, goodbye, Sears. You know, like, see you wouldn't want to be you. Right. It's like that person you grew up with and you were friends with through college and then you've gotten back in touch later in life and you realize, oh, oh you've you were, changed and I don't like you anymore. Yeah, you really weren't. I don't really. I thought you were cool, but no, maybe not. Or as Michelle Obama would say, bye, Felicia. Look, before we go, I feel like we have to wrap up with poor Roebuck, who we haven't talked much about. How, how, did, how did things end up for the guy? I mean, Alva Roebuck was one of the founding guys. I wonder if he was still around, if he could have made it cool again. Oh, that would be be very interesting to know because, yeah, you're right, Sears, Roebuck and company, and then Roebuck kind of fell off the map. Right. Well, Sears, the guy, Richard Sears, made millions. He was worth $25 by the time he died, which is roughly $612 in today's dollars. So he he did pretty well before he passed away. But he did die young, 
And Roebuck, he got disinterested in the company after the first two years of being with the company. So way back in the late 1800s, he was like, yeah, this is not for me. I'm going to just take, sell off my shares. I think he sold them for about $20,000 at the time. There's different stories uh, about how much he got, but it wasn't a ton. He took his money, went to Florida, tried a few other businesses. Ultimately, he ended up going back to Sears on request to do a demo, kind of to be on, like to be sort of paraded around for who he was. He enjoyed it. They enjoyed having him. So ultimately, this is many years later now, 20 years later or something, he becomes the company historian and spends kind of the latter years of his life being sort of a a poster boy for Sears, which was still Sears Roebuck and Company for quite some time. And then, and by the way, he lived a nice long life, died at age 84 in 1948, a couple of years before he died. And by the way, this is included in his obit in the New York Times. He was asked... Uh, if he felt bad that he didn't, you know, stick with it and make millions like his buddy Sears. And he said, "Mm, he died in his 40s and I'm still here. So, yeah, all good. I'm good with that. I think maybe Roebuck had the right idea. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, to sum it all up, there is a cautionary tale here for Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And Jeff Bezos was recently asked about the demise of Sears and what he thought about it. And even... Jeff Bezos said, yeah, I see it, and we might not be around forever. Sears, icon to fondly remember, or a cautionary tale for Amazon, or another reason this country needs bankruptcy reform. I don't know. Maybe it's all three. That's our show for today. Bizography is produced by the iHeart Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dana Barrett. My co-host and producer is Nick Bean. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis, and Josh Thane provides audio production. Have questions? Want to give us feedback or have a company you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at bizography.show or contact us on social. I'm at the Dana Barrett on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or just search for Dana Barrett on LinkedIn. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.